So um, it's a pleasure to be with you tonight. The, the topic of my uh, talk tonight is where are you going? Uh, oh, I'm sorry, what are you going to do? I, I'm like, that didn't sound right, but I was glancing out of my eyes. What are you going to do? Okay, here's the thing. I know that all y'all are at the age in life. When you hear this question, probably more than anything else, right? They're like, oh, so you're like somewhere between 18 and 25. You're like, what are you going to do? Yeah, that's like, what are you going to do next? What are you planning to do? What do you do? What do you hope to do? I mean, the questions come in a hundred different forms, but this is the stage of life where, hey, granted, you are at a point where there's a lot of choices to be made and a lot of directions that you may choose, and everybody is eager to know what that is. Now, sometimes you feel like there's a lot of pressure on you. So sort of like, I have to have an answer to this question because everybody keeps asking me, what am I going to do? And therefore, I, I, I'm, you know, it communicates that I'm supposed to have an answer and I'm supposed to have a good answer that people are going to kind of nod and go, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds good. Now, the trouble is, if you're anything like me, um, I didn't really have a good plan for much of this phase of my life. And, um, you know, I kind of like, stumbled along and like, well, that sounds good, and well, that sounds good, and so, um, but, but what I want to talk to you about tonight is not the answer to that question, but the answer, but the question that's more worthwhile thinking about that's beneath that question, and, and so I want to, I want to, um, we're going to focus on uh, a couple of topics that are actually, um, tonight's, tonight's uh, thoughts are not organized around one single scripture, but they're organized around some threads that I've come to appreciate are woven throughout Scripture. And if you get this little concept in your brain, like I did when I was like 25 years old, this was like a major light bulb in my life, I realized that this ties so many things together that we as believers talk about, right? So as we who follow Jesus talk about things, this this little concept just kind of weaves its way through everything. You're like, oh, now it all makes better sense and it all hangs together. So um, so there's a deeper question that we all answer that's much more important than the question, you know, you know, what are you going to do? And that is, what is truly important in life? Maybe asked another way, what do you believe really matters? Or maybe asked another way, what do you want out of life? Right. So these are when people ask the question, what are you going to do? You kind of already have, you know, whatever your answer to that is, is going to be driven by what you believe the answer to the other question is. Right. What am I going to do? Well, what matters? Why would I do anything? What do I want out of life whenever I've chosen what I'm going to do? And, and so one drives the other. But, and there's a lot of answers that people give to these deeper questions, you know, what really matters in life. But whatever answer you give, there is certainly one thing that factors into your choice. And, and I would say that anybody who ever says, I think I know what really matters to me, the answer that they give to that question is going to describe something that ends up giving them a sense of peace, purpose, and satisfaction. Nobody is ever going to say, my great goal in life is to ruin my entire existence, to live purposelessly, and to be unsatisfied at the end, right? No, nobody says, now, now they may choose a life of crime, but they're hoping that the life of crime leads to satisfaction, right? They may, they may choose a life of compassion, but really, 
that's because they believe that there's great satisfaction in compassion. I mean, the whole spectrum in between, everybody's looking for satisfaction, purpose, and a kind of a great sense of well-being, of peace that's going to be achieved somehow, in, in, at least in their inner life, if not in their outer life. So in other words, the most important thing that all of us humans, um, for all of us, is to believe that our life is going somewhere and that it's going somewhere good. All right. So there's a word for that, and it's hope, right? It's this expectation that something good is coming. And Shoshana, you talked about that as being the thing that binds us here in wealthy, affluent, first world America with, you know, orphans in Kenya. If we, you know, we have something in common, if we have in common that we trust in Jesus Christ. We have hope, a similar hope. But every person on the planet who's still alive has got some kind of hope rolling around inside their head or their heart. Now, the reason people end their own lives is usually because they've lost hope. They don't see what their purpose is. They don't see that the ending, the ending is going to be good. They don't see that there's peace. There's nothing but grief. So, um, so no hope is a bad, bad place to be, and everybody knows it. So if we all hunger for hope that we're going to get to a good place at the outcome, now, that hope is sort of built on two concepts, and this is the first slide there. What we, what we hope for and the confidence we will get there, right? So you have to have like a destination, and then you have to have a belief that you're going to reach that destination. Now, what you have in mind as the destination is really what we mean when we say, you know, purpose, satisfaction, you know, that, all those kinds of things. These are all common human drivers, right? Now, so it's, it's, but we all pick different ones, and sometimes wildly different ones, and then, once we've chosen that destination, what gives us any reason to think we're going to get there? All right, so let's define another term. So we've just spoken about hope for a minute. I want to talk to you about this other important word, and this is the pivotal word that I'm going to spend the rest of the time focusing on, that is joy. So joy, loosely defined by me, this is not anybody else's definition, joy is a deep sense of well-being or satisfaction. And it contrasts with the concept of happiness which is usually based on circumstances which may change. So, you know, you, you can have some days when you're like, I feel happy, you know, and the other have days you're like, I do not feel happy. But on both of those days, you can either have joy or not have joy. You can have happiness without joy, right? You're like, woohoo, awesome day. My life sucks, right? <laughs> all at the same time, all going through your mind at the same time. Or you can say, today was the worst day of my life, but I know that I have hope yet. All right, so, um, so joy is this concept of a deep sense of satisfaction that doesn't depend on our momentary circumstances. Now, I have observed that there are four avenues that joy tends to arrive in our lives, and people seek joy in all of these four. So I'm going to ask you, after I say them, to repeat it after me. I'll tell you um, when to start that, okay? So here they are. Oh, you, no, there they are, right there. The first one is knowing I am loved. All right. Second one is knowing my circumstances are working for my good. Knowing my circumstances are working for my good. Third one is having something worth having. Having something worth having. 
And the fourth one is giving something worth giving. Awesome. Now, I hope those four things will be the main four things that stick in your brain. So it's being loved, knowing your circumstances are headed somewhere good, having something worth having, giving something worth giving. Now, people look to a million different sources for these four avenues. Just let your mind run on that for a second. And I actually want you to call out to me, you know, in a word or a phrase, examples. So let's start with knowing that I'm loved. Where Now, let's just set aside Sunday school answers for a second here, okay? So you could just go, Jesus, but, I, you know, we'll get to that, right? Right now, we're thinking about the rest of the world, right? People who don't necessarily trust in Jesus. Where do they look for these kinds of things, all right? So knowing I'm loved, what's an example? Sure, right. They look to their parents or their family to, to, to find that sense of well-being, knowing that I'm loved. Perfect example. What's another one? Relationships, friends, right? Yeah, you, when you say relationships, that could be like one-on-one uh, partner type of relationships, or it could be just people, right? What, where else do people look for knowing that they're loved? Sure. Social media, right? How many followers do you have, right? Yeah. Yeah, what, what would be more valuable in life, a thousand followers or one good friend, you know? But both of those can go away, can't they? All right, so let's move on to the next one. Knowing my circumstances are working for my good. <laughs> Knowing, so what, what do people do or what do people try to arrange in their lives so that they can look at their life and say, yep, my circumstances are working for my good. 401k, <laughs> lots of money. I heard, what else? Career, yeah, call education, right? Somebody said some another one. I still couldn't hear it because I have fifty-four-year-old ears. <laughs> yeah, going, just going to school. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because because there's promise, right, in education in America. It's like here we are. We're going to school so that. Dot, 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 right? Something good is going to come out of that. Right? Like, oh, I'm going to school just because I love to borrow money and be in debt for a long, long time, right? <laughs> now, that's not the motive. That's sort of the byproduct. But, um, <laughs> all right, but, but you do that, right? You endure the debt because you think there's a payoff in it somehow, right? So the hope is that the payoff is going to be there, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll worry about the debt someday. Maybe if you, yeah, just elect Bernie, it'll all go away. Um, <laughs> no, uh, three. <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <clears throat> Number three, having something worth having. So give me an example. What's something that people say is worth having? An iPhone, right. And some other people would say an Android. But, you know, we'll, we'll just leave that fight for outside the classroom, right? So um, what, what else do people say that's worth having? Yeah, a, a car, and maybe not just any car, but like the car, right? Yeah, like what, the Land Cruiser or the... Um, yeah, the Porsche or whatever it might be, that fl- the big truck, you know, with giant wheels, so you can literally choose any road you want, because we live in Texas. And, um, okay, so what are other things worth having? Yeah, oh, money, yeah, that thing, sure. It kind of covers a lot of categories, doesn't it? But yeah. No debt, right, yeah. Money that's all your own, right? Not, not earmarked for somebody else, yeah. Sure, family. Mm-hmm. Coffee. 
Some things are short-term having, and some things are long-term having, but yeah, you know, having coffee is worth, all right, so what about giving something worth giving? Like, just general, what do people say, this is worth giving, right? Yeah, right, sure, people make food for you, you know, your grandma thinks that the best thing she can do for you is feed you, you know, what were you saying? Sure, giving to charity. A lot of people sort of, that, that is like their primary way of like counterbalancing all the other stuff that they's going on in their life. They're like, yes, but I am a philanthropist. Yeah. So what else? What else? Uh, giving, things that are worth giving. I give blood. You know, that's worth giving. Yeah. Time, right. That's right. So you like spending time with people. That is an actual gift. It's a lot of people's love language, right? Spend time with them. It shows them love. These are all great examples, right? So oh, you had one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like the role of being a teacher is pouring something into other people's lives, helping them gain knowledge. I mean, it is satisfying. It's very satisfying to know that you have something that in the mind of another is, you know, sets them free in some way. So you know, we have all these different ways that we, uh, that we pursue these four things. So you know, this is where all, we all live in the same place. We're all looking for joy. We're constructing our lives so that we have the most confidence that we will find joy. We hope for joy. That's essentially what humans do. And they just arrange their lives differently to, to accomplish that. Well, now enter Jesus, right? So Jesus comes on the scene and he's like, all y'all are seeking joy all over the place. I mean, th this isn't a new thing. It's not like in Jesus' time, they all had one way of seeking joy and they all agreed on it. <clears throat> they were just as messed up as we are in our society today, and yet <clears throat> he had an answer, right? When Jesus entered the world, the angels announced his purpose for coming. And so our first verse that we're looking at tonight is actually from Luke 2, Luke 2, 10, 11, and 14. And this is the place where Jesus' existence on the planet is announced by the angels from heaven, right? So there's all these shepherds in the field keeping watch over the sheep by night, and suddenly, let's see, that verse is going to be on the next slide, if you can pop that one up there. I think it is. Shifting to the, there it is. So, so of course, I love this. <clears throat> My daughters have heard me say this a hundred times, but what are the first words out of every angel's mouth? Don't, do not be afraid. <laughs> right, because generally when people see angels, they're like, <gasps> you know, because, you know, it's an angel, right? He's not like any normal person, so it looks like he's on fire or something. So he's got, there's an angel appearing to the shepherds, and he says to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. And then later in the verse, it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So in, in the announcement of Jesus' arrival are the two things that people want most in life, joy and peace, right? And they want a savior, right? It would be nice if I could get out of this mess, you know, that I've gotten myself into with a little bit of help, right? So a savior who brings joy and peace. Wow. That's an amazing announcement. So then Jesus goes on. Now, as he starts to teach, you know, what happens is everyone's like, cool, we got a king. 
we got like an up-and-coming king. We're going to like boot those Romans right out of Palestine. We're going to have, you know, we Jews are going to take over our country again, and we're going to have, you know, like a new David to rule over us, and it's going to be awesome. And in fact, even when Jesus' birth was being announced to Mary, it said, you know, Jesus is going to sit on David's throne and rule forever. And she was thinking, cool, I'm going to be the queen mother, right? <laughs> but there was more to it than that, because it wasn't an earthly kingdom, and he People figured that out, and of course, they got a little angry with him, and you know, it ended in his death. But aside from that, um, you know, some people caught on to his message. So uh, it, his kingdom turned out to be spiritual and not political. So he taught that it is blessed to do things like be poor in spirit, or to be humble, right, or to greet, to mourn, or to be persecuted for righteousness. I mean, and, and they're like, whoa, 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 slow down, Jesus. We were hoping for a lot, a lot better list of blesseds than that, right? But his, his um, agenda was contradicting people's ideas about where we find hope, right? They were like, oh, I want to be rich. If I'm rich, then I'm blessed. Like, blessed equals rich. Woohoo. And they were just assuming I'm healthy. I'm blessed. I'm, you know, whatever. I'm influential. I'm blessed. And the same concepts go on and on. So what kind of hope for joy does Jesus offer? Um, you know, Jesus taught to turn from the world's ideas of finding joy and to find it his way. Did you guys know that the, church, the early church was actually called the way? Yeah. Interesting, huh? Because there's all these, like, former Jews, and they're like, we are following the way. So anyway, interesting. So it, it, but its reality is that if you follow Jesus, you are, in a sense, saying there is a way. There's now a way to find all this stuff that all the humans have been looking for, right? It's this, this hope of joy and peace that we all want. Well, now we know the way to hope and peace and joy. All right, so what is that hope? All right, well, now I'm going to just pepper you with some scriptures, and I'm going to jump around. I don't even have them all up on slides because I'm going to move through them so quickly. But um, the verses will be up there in case you want to, like, speed flip with me. But um, so <clears throat> here we go. First one. So talking about each of these four areas, knowing I'm loved, one example, and let me tell you, if you read the New Testament, you'll find hundreds of examples that fall into these four categories. Now that you have your eyes, your mind filtering for these four sources of joy, these four avenues of joy, but I just figured out a few of them that came to my mind. So the first one is John 15:9 here. So let me flip over to John 15:9. Oh boy, yeah, that's why I have these in my pocket. I hit 40 and my eyes, the warranty on my eyes expired. It's like <laughs> reading glasses. Um, as, as the Father has, and that was 14 years ago. So as the Father has loved me, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. What is the secret to complete joy? Knowing how loved you are. Right there, John 15, 9. He didn't say the four avenues for joy are, but he just named one of them right there, knowing how much you're loved. So this is good news. Second one, um, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. There's a song that we used to sing. Beloved, let us love one another, love one another. Maybe that's way before your time. 
Okay, so four, seven, and eight. Dear friends or beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Does God love you? How do we know? Jesus showed up. Right? He's the proof that God loves you and me and every single person on this planet. And that's our job is to, sort of to tell them, guess what? God loves you. And you know how I know that? Because Jesus showed up. Right? So that's what, that's what John, Jesus' best friend, is, is writing to us here. So and then also, so that's 4, 7, and 8 and John 4, 10. All right. So can you think of any more that pop to the top of your mind? Verses that illustrate this idea that knowing you're loved is a source of joy? Any of them that just like, you're like, oh, oh, that was a perfect one that just jumped into my brain. Anybody else have one? All right, we'll move on. But if you think of one, say it when I get to the next one. All right, so the next one. Number two, circumstances working for good. That's the next slide. Knowing circumstances are for good, right? So um, this one, Matthew 5. Now here, this, this is Sermon on the Mount kind of stuff here, right? This is Matthew saying... Uh, kind of like one of his early sermons to tell people what he's all about, and people are like, whoa, wait, you can't be serious about that. That's, that's very disappointing, Jesus. All right, so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, not the rich, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, not those who laugh, for theirs, they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, not the strong, for they will be in, inherit the earth, which all the strong are trying to do. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness rather than food, because food, you get hungry the next day, but righteousness, you don't. What? They will be filled. And the list goes on. So when we're talking about our circumstances working for our good, Jesus lays out what it looks like for our circumstances to work for our good. And he goes, pursue these things here, and you're going to have not just a sense of well-being, you're going to inherit the earth, right? You'll be filled. You'll see God. You'll be called sons of God. I mean, that is awesome, right? So there's second category, Matthew 5, 3 and following. And then there's the classic one that you all were thinking, if you know this verse, you were already thinking Romans 8, 28, but so we, we just have to read that one. Um, knowing your circumstances are working for your good, Hopefully, this is one that you'll soon memorize if you haven't memorized it already. And that is this. It says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. There is nothing that can stand against us because God has been working through all of our circumstances to achieve something in us that we could never achieve for ourselves. So you're like, self-improvement, self-help, you know, pep talk. Go sign up for the, like, I'm a super person uh, conference or something like that. You know, you know, listen to tapes to listen, you know, I'm sorry, tapes, that's an old thing, right? Listen to to podcasts that tell you how amazing you are, right? And keep listening to them until you convince yourself. But then you turn here and it says, we know that what? In all things, God works for good. So this is good news of a different type. Third one, having something worth having. So here we're going to flip to Romans 14, a couple chapters later. 
Romans 14, 17, and 19, where it says, regarding having something worth having, yep, um, 17 says, for the kingdom of God, this is awesome, it comes right in the middle of a, of a whole passage about something else, but this is an awesome principle, it says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Boom. It basically sums it up right there. In the 19, it says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Right? So it's like, this is what it's, the kingdom of God is not about, you know, wealth and happiness. It's about joy and peace and helping each other live in that. That's amazing. That's having something worth having. All right, how about this one? Luke 7, 47. Matthew, Mark, Luke. I have a little cheat tab right there. Luke 7. And on go the cheaters. All right, 747. It says, um, therefore I tell you, um, her, this, is the, this is the story of uh, Jesus is reacting to people's condemnation of some former sinners that are hanging around Jesus. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, they're more great, grateful because of what they've been forgiven. And so he's teaching them about that. And, he, and this is his conclusion. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. So what he's saying is that forgiveness is this awesome gift. And when you've been forgiven, it changes everything the way you look, about the, the way you look at the world. And in Luke 5, 20, if we flip back just a couple chapters, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, this is the faith of some people who brought their paralyzed friend. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. So he was asking for healing, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And he's like, well, but I came, what about my legs, man? They don't work. He's like, oh, no, much bigger issue. Your sins are forgiven. Working legs, that's a nice thing to have, but forgiveness is really something worth having, right? So, all right, so fourth category, uh, giving something worth giving from the scripture, also in Luke 5, Luke 5, 10, just a few verses earlier. It says, um, uh, when Simon Peter saw what Jesus had done in miraculously bringing a bunch of fish into his net, he said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Hey, wow, sounds a lot like an angel. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Wow. So he's saying, you know, you thought you were doing a favor for your community and catching fish so everybody could have food, right? And that's a good thing, right? He's not saying fishing is bad. He's saying, guess what? You're getting an upgrade. You have a new purpose. You're going to give something that's better than giving food. You're going to give life to people by fishing for men, right? Telling them the news about God's love. So this is awesome. This is, he's, he's delivering the message that there's a different way and it's a better way. All right. So then uh, last couple verses are in 1 Corinthians 10 and 12. And flipping. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 to 33. 
So it says, um, so whatever you do, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So he's saying, look, I reorganized everything about my life so that other people can be saved. That is a gift worth giving. And he decided it was worth setting aside all the other goals that people tend to set. So, so there it is. And then uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, there's another gift that you can give. And this chapter is all about spiritual gifts and us being a part of the body and like making sure that we're not neglecting being a contributor to the whole of the body of Christ. And um, so in verse 4 through 7, it says, uh, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. So why is it that God has given us all these gifts? It's not just so that I can be like cooler and make more money. It's so that God can use me to build others up. I mean, there's like this amazing system he had in mind, and it has an, an, it, it has an essential component is that whatever he's given me is meant to be given away, right? So that's why he's given you gifts, is so that he can bless other people, and you end up being blessed in the process. But that's not the primary goal. It's, it's just one of the goals. So, so we've answered one part of the hope question, which is, what are we hoping for? And Jesus's way provides us with awesome answers to all of those four avenues. But um, what are, there is a second question, and we're not going to spend a long time on this, but go to the next slide there. The first question was, oh, no, a little bit too far. You're on the final question, which is not the second question. One more back. There we go. What confidence do we have in our hope for joy, right? So here's the thing. It's one, like, if I was to, um, if I was to walk into the, uh, you know, 7-Eleven or something and say, I would like to buy a lottery ticket, right? Because my hope is that I'm going to win that sucker, right? I'm going to get that 30, you know, 230 million or whatever the, the jackpot is at the moment. And, and you're, you're like, all it's going to cost me is $1 to turn that. I'm going to turn $1 into 230 million or whatever. Well, that's, that's a wonderful hope, you know? That's a, I'm happy for you that you're all excited about that turning $1 into $230 million. But, you know, what level of confidence do you have that that's actually going to work, right? Now, you may have higher than the next person in line who's buying a lottery ticket. You might have, like, 10 times more confidence than the third person who's waiting in line to buy a lottery ticket. But it doesn't matter because your hope is built on a really, really thin, lousy mathematical probability, and the chances are of you winning are like so remote that it's almost silly. Now, so there's the hope, and then there's what reason you have for that hope to be fulfilled, right? I hope to just, you know, find a sack of money in my backyard, but the likelihood of that as it's happening is fairly low. But are the rest, of the, the, so we, the, the key is for us, as we think about these four avenues of hope, and we look at the decisions that we're making, and we're looking at the forks in the road that we face, is to stop and ask ourselves, is the, the source of my hope in this decision, is the source of my hope in whatever it is I'm spending my time and energy doing, 
Is it bound to something that's reliable? Something that stands over time? Or is it built on something that evaporates? Right? Now, I, I, what I don't want you to do is go away with the notion that I'm saying jobs are bad, money's bad, marriage is bad, relationships are bad, because they're all built on something that can, can disappear. Well, obviously not, because that's, that's the stuff of life. But beneath your job choices and your use of money and your time spent in relationships and the people you choose to have relationships with, what's the joy that you're seeking that's beneath all of that? And, um, and it, it changes the way you go about friendship and the way you go about working and the way you go about managing money. It doesn't necessarily give you more or less money, but it changes the way you do everything. So it, when we look at these four areas, like if you think about love, how does a person who is looking for love in sources that are going to, that, that could potentially disappear, I mean, you hear about somebody, you know, a, a couple, you know, a married couple, and then one of them passes away and the other one just feels completely adrift. Why is that? Because they put all their hope in the happiness that they were going to drive from that marriage relationship. But people die, right? And so if that's the only source of hope we have for love, wow, you know, that's a gamble. But if you look, think about love as being a much larger circle, like what about the family of God? I had the most ex awesome experience today. I, had, I took three Uber rides. I was in Boston this morning. I rode from the hotel to the office, spent the morning at the office, went from the, the office to the airport, and then here from the airport home, three Uber rides. Three out of three fellow Christian brothers, all right? One of them from the Dominican Republic, one of them from Lebanon, and one of them from Myanmar, all right? So here I am with three brothers I've never met. Now, if I'm looking to, 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 for all of my sense of well-being, that knowing that I'm loved is just from my wife, who could die, you know, in the car tomorrow. Um, uh, but but if, if my greater sense of confidence comes from the fact that I'm connected to all of you and those three brothers that I'd never met until today, and like millions of people all around the world, well, I know that I'm loved right here on earth by a ton of people, and there is no way that all of them are going to die in one day, right? So, you know, putting some eggs in the baskets that live, that, that's, that are, are um, that have longevity, right? That are reliable. So, and we can apply that to everything else. Which circumstances am I going? Am I trying to, like, get a huge nest egg? But I'm not investing in anything that's eternal. Wow, Sorry. That's going to be disappointing. Jesus had a whole bunch of parables about that. And, the, and you go down the list, you know, knowing, having something worth having, giving something worth giving. We all, our goal ought to be to ask ourselves, is, are we choosing Jesus's way when we're seeking joy? So just to close with this thought. So, you know, what do you do with this now that you know the four avenues of joy? But before, before I close, close, I want you to repeat with me what those four are, because you only said it once. So I need to hear you say it again. The first one, I'll say it, and then you repeat it after me, is knowing that I'm loved. Knowing that I'm loved. Knowing my, con my circumstances are working for my good. Knowing my circumstances are working for my good. Having something worth having. Having something worth having. And giving something worth giving. Giving something worth giving. So these are the four things. The question is, now that you know these, 
And the reality is the best hope for these are found in Christ. I'll close with this verse, Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. It should be right up there. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So it's saying, you know, you have been given this time in life, right? This awesome age where all the roads are open to you, it seems like, right? So many choices. Ah, I have to make choices. But reality is, if you make the fundamental choices to walk in Jesus's way, he will illuminate whatever those other choices are. It's like you get one right and the other ones magically become right. It's not magic, I know, like Harry Potter magic, but it seems like magic because he works through even disappointments. He works through it all. So ask yourself, am I trusting Jesus for my joy or am I looking elsewhere? That's the fundamental question to us. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just pray that my brothers and sisters here in this room who have already put their trust in you would be encouraged by this good, good news that you have promised so many avenues of joy and blessing that cannot be rocked by the disappointments in life, that cannot be taken away by uh, you know, just what happens, but that are unshakable. They're tied to your promises. They're tied to your goodness. They're tied to your provision. And we just thank you that we can trust in you. And any in this room who are still checking out who this Jesus person is and wondering, is this really for me? I just ask that you would show yourself to be as good and loving and as amazing as we all know you to be so that there's, there's, there's nothing left but to, of course, upgrade to the very best, the very best source of joy, the way that Jesus showed us and the way that Jesus is the way of the Father, the way of the Spirit living in us, and the way of following in Jesus' steps. And I just thank you that you've given us your way by showing us in person what you're like. And we just trust you and thank you for the peace that we have when we walk in the hope of your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.